to the book of Numbers. Our primary passage is going to come out of the book of Numbers, and we will not be able to address every verse of that story. It's a combined historical narrative about a false prophet named Balaam. So I want you to make a commitment to read chapters 22 through 24. And if you are a busy person, like most of us are, you can actually listen to the scriptures being read audibly. Uh, this will bless your heart as you go through the account that is recorded in the book of Numbers. I'm going to read beginning in verse 21 in Numbers chapter 22. And I'm going to read a long portion of scripture because I now know that we're not all familiar with the story of Balaam, uh, as in the past, you may not have been taught. Uh, that's why I want you to read this when you get an opportunity to. Beginning in verse 21, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he went with the Moabite officials, but God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into the field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Verse 24. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyard or the vineyard with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead, and he stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it laid down under Balaam, and he was angry, and he beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. Say, the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. And it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would have killed you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten the donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is reckless. Reckless, a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If he had not turned away, I would have certainly killed you by now. But I have spared but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned 
I did not realize that you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with these men, but speak only what I tell you. Say, speak, speak. Only, only what I tell you. So Balaam went back with Balak's officials. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we bow before you, asking that you would just speak to our hearts, minister to us as only you can. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross and that what would be proclaimed this day would be a direct revelation from your word that our lives will be changed from the inside out. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Built to last. Built to last. An elderly woman from Florida made an emergency call to 911. And she hysterically said to the dispatcher, my car has been broken into. She said they have stole, stolen the steering wheel, the stereo, the brake pedal, and the accelerator pedal. And the dispatcher said, please calm yourself, uh, dear lady. Uh, I have discharged an officer. He is on his way. He should be arriving shortly. And within minutes, the officer, uh, 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 he arrived. The officer saw the elderly woman, and he called back to the dispatcher, and he says, disregard the call. Disregard the call. Her car has not been broken into. Not wanting to totally embarrass the elderly woman because her car had not been broken into, he goes to the lady, he says, your car has not been broken into, but you're not entirely wrong. The steering wheel hasn't been stolen. The stereo is still in place. The pedal, the brake pedal, the accelerator pedal, but you got one thing right. You got in the right car. She, she got into the right car. She thought her car was stolen, but because of what age can do to your mind, she's in the back car, and she didn't see the steering wheel. She didn't see the steering, uh, the stereo in the pedal, so she thought the car, the car had been stolen. So he didn't embarrass her, and I will keep my day job. Amen, amen, amen. She got one thing right. He said, you are in the right car, even though your car hadn't been stolen. There are a lot of things that a pastor, a preacher, a proclaimer of God's word can get wrong. I have come to church to preach on any given Sunday. I can remember a time I arrived at church, and I realized that I had left my belt home. So I had preached with, preached holding my pants up. There were times when I left my office, when I used to have hair. I forgot to comb my hair, so I preached with my hair uncombed. I have stood before thousands. I remember uh, the, the uh, college, uh, the state college, not the state college, but the community college in Niagara Falls, New York. They were graduating. And I was in front, 
leading the Star Spangled Banner, cameras rolling, and I forgot the words to the Star Spangled Banner, and my mic was live. <laughs> I've gone to the wrong house. When somebody called and said, my loved one died, and I've knocked on the wrong door and said, I'm here, your loved one, and they really sent people into shock because of that mistake. I can tell you of other things that I have overlooked, but the one thing that the preacher can't get wrong is cutting straight the word of God. That's the one thing. And I've learned over the years of preaching on my worst day, my job is simply to preach the word. If I preach the word on my worst day, God's word will never return unto him void. It will always accomplish exactly what he pleases. That's the one thing. I don't care how good. Chick-fil-A is. It can be the kindest, most courteous, but if that chicken ain't right, those lines will begin to thin. And I want you to know if the, if the word, the word that you're sitting under does not accurately come from the scriptures, that is totally unacceptable. It's unacceptable. One, one of the greatest, clearest, most accurate definitions that defines expository exegetical preaching, that is, exegeting means to draw out from the text what is in the text and to expound. Ex expositional preaching is expounding on what is inside of the text and drawing it out. The, one of the best definitions that is in the entire Bible is given by a crooked preacher. In verse 20, in, ver in chapter 24 of Numbers 13, we read, In Balak, he, uh, this is uh, Balaam, the, preach the preacher speaking. He said, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, here it is, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad or my own will. Here it is. What the Lord says, I must speak. What the Lord says, I have no right to go beyond what the Lord has spoken, what he has said, the exegete, the expositor, who's accurately cutting straight the word of God. That is what he must, she must say. That's the one thing pastors need to get right. And what we found today, with, I don't want to, I got a lot to say, so let me, let me just stick with the script here. Say, somebody say, stick with the script, Pastor. <laughs> no one who is proclaiming the word of God should go beyond what God has said. Paul actually gives a stern warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, do not go beyond what is written. This is the, this is the holy word of God. The Bible says that all scripture is theonumatized, is breathed, comes from the very mouth of God. And it is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness that the man and the woman of God may be adequately equipped to instruct you to grow spiritually. 
This is God's word. Even when I was a, not a Christian, I knew don't play with the Bible. It is God's word. And so a pastor, the worst thing that he can do is to stand behind this rostrum and mis, misinterpret and misuse the word of God, either out of ignorance, arrogance, or intentionally to manipulate those who are hearing. Now, when we talk about not going beyond what God has said, it extends, it, it includes more than reading the scriptures and quoting the scriptures. And when you get an opportunity in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, when they find the law of God that has been Lost once the, tap, once the temple had been destroyed. They find it. They discover it. Now, Nehemiah has all of the people gathered together in Jerusalem. And I'm just going to share with you what happened, just pulling a summary out of verses 4 through 8. The Bible says that Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. That's where we get the idea of, a, of an elevated platform. Ezra opened the book. He opened the book. All of the people could see him because he was standing above them as he opened it. And when he opened it, all of the people, in reverence to the word, they stood up. He didn't ask them, just stand up, this is God's word. They just automatically respected the Bible as the very word of God in such a way that they immediately knew when you hear God's word being spoken, you stand up. And so the people all stood up, and then the scripture says, he read from the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people understood what was being said. Watch this. He read from the scriptures. That's expository preaching. You read from the scriptures. You make the word of God clear. That is, you teach what is in the scriptures so that they had understanding that's interpreting what you've read to make clear. And he says, so that all of the people understood, that's application. So we're talking about reading the scriptures, teaching the scriptures, interpreting them in such a way that people can walk away knowing how to live according to what they've been taught. That is what expository preaching is. It is not any all right. I know he can, and I know he will. It can be a part of that, but what you want is you want the beef. You don't want the roll. You want the beef. They, they, they read the word. They taught the word. They interpreted the word, and they gave application so that people would know how to do what thus saith the Lord. That's what expository exegetical preaching is. And Jesus actually said, he said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. The church will last. I'm going to build my church in such a way that it will last. And here is how he said it would last. He said, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them. All that I have commanded you, what is essential is the word is what, the, what makes fruit that remains. Jesus knew that his church would last 
Because if you teach what he has commanded, what is recorded in his book, the Bible says earth and heaven will fail before one jot or in punctuation of the word of God will fail. And so Jesus said, build my church, build my church by teaching what I've commanded, by making it clear, by interpreting it, by applying it, by reading it. But if you don't know it, you can't teach what you don't know. The Bible says faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word, by the word of God. Now, I want to talk about two kinds of pastors today. And I'm primarily focusing on pastors and preachers because they're, they're people who teach the word. And I believe that every person that is sharing the gospel, as you are witnessing the people, you are also a proclaimer. But I'm, I'm particularly zeroing in on pastors because we have lost our way. We have drifted from the word. We have taken a posture that, we, that people need more than what the scripture teaches to get backsides in pews and to get money into, into offering plates. But the, the scriptures that we are denying because we either don't know them or we're being arrogant and deceptive and manipulative, they still work. Somebody say the word works. So I want to talk about the spirit-led preacher and the scoundrel preacher. Now, Paul refers to the scoundrel preacher as a sophist, someone who manipulates and fraudulently presents arguments that lead to deception. They're charlatans, opportunists. Sometimes they just want to be. They get up there and they sound just like somebody you heard, and they're imitating because what they're imitating is what was popular, and so... We can call those kind of folks wannabes. These are preachers and pastors that violate the single most important thing. They go beyond what the Bible has taught. My assignment to you as we seek to know what God is saying during these times, the pablum is not going to work. Uh, this, this foolishness, name it and claim it and declare it and decree it, it don't work. But this does. And so you need to be in a place where you are being fed the word of God that will help you to be grounded because the storm gates have opened. I ain't talking about no rain. I'm talking about divine judgment that has come upon us as we're living in these last and evil days. Somebody say amen. And so we're going to talk about the spirit-led preacher and the scoundrel preacher. We got to get this right. When we move to Middletown, if we don't get nothing else right, we may not have the best chairs. We may not have the most beautiful building. We may not pack the room out. But if we get this right, if, we, if the word is preached and taught accurately, the, our church, which is the church of Christ, it will stand. We will succeed. We will always have more than what we need if we get this right. The spirit-led pastor preacher, I'm going to describe him by sharing, first of all, the spirit-led pastor can get things wrong because he's human, he's frail. The spirit-led pastor can get things wrong. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, he said, when I, when I came before you, I stood before you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. 
Paul was a theologian. He was a, a trained uh, 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 Pharisee. He was multilingual. He was, he was a prolific writer. He's a scholar. And yet he said, when I stood before you with the word of God open to declare it, he said, I stood before you in weakness and in trembling because I'm human. I know that what I say, I can get it wrong. And what I get wrong can determine where people spend eternity at. He said, I, was, I tremble before you. So pastors and preachers are mere men with feet of clay. Get stuff wrong. At our best, Paul says, we are, we are vessels that God, we, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are earthen vessels. An earthen vessel was a potty. <laughs> you know what you use potties for. God, he said, I have chosen jars that would use in New Testament times to deposit stuff that nobody wants. He said, but he said, he said, we at best we are we are we are we are we are vessels, we are jars that God has deposited into us the mysteries of the kingdom. And what makes the vessel important, what makes the porta potty important is what God has deposited into it. And so, yes, he's a man, but he's a man. She's a woman of God. And that, that is where the value is. The, spirit, the spirit-led pastor also understands to avoid two extremes. The one extreme is accepting and expecting excessive praise from people. In Acts chapter 14, verses 11 through 15, we're not going to read all those verses. Paul and Barnabas are in Athens. This is a place where Socrates and Plato and philosophers, and they, they were known for polytheism. They had many gods, but there was one God called the unknown God. And so while Paul and Barnabas are there, there's a man who's born lame. He was lame from birth. And so Paul, seeing that he had faith to be healed, he said to the man, be healed in the name of Jesus. And the man is healed. And when the people of the city saw Paul and Barnabas uh, bringing healing to the man, they immediately say, the gods have come to earth. And so one of the priests runs and he goes, gets offerings, and he, he, he puts the offerings in front of Paul and, and Barnabas. They're going to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this. They tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We, are, we, we, we too are only human like you. We are bringing you the good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who has made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. Paul did not allow for excessive worship, idol worship of pastors. The pastor can do no wrong. The pastor actually becomes the voice of God. My pastor said, if what the pastor said does not match what God's word says, then the pastor is wrong and God is true. He tore his clothes. We are mere men like you. We're mere men like you. Mere men. So the, the one extreme is that we literally idolize people in the pulpit that often, in, in some instances, turn out to be like Balaam. 
Here's a second extreme. The second extreme is rejecting proper honor and compensation from people you serve as pastor. Here's this, uh, the other extreme where pastors won't accept, won't allow people to give honor where the Bible says honor is due. It's okay to honor your pastor. It is wrong to worship your pastor. It is okay to honor the elders that are keeping, helping to keep watch over your soul. It is okay to honor the deacons and the deaconesses who are participating in keeping watch over your soul. But we don't idolize anyone. The Bible says pastors who, are, who, do, who, who do their work well, elders and pastors that do their work well, should be paid well and should be highly appreciated especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. They should be appreciated and compensated well. Now, I'm not going to drill down on that because I really want to spend most of my time on this last category, the scoundrel preacher, Balaam, because I think that's going to help us to understand how God is going to use each one of us as we go forward in our spiritual growth and development my greatest fear, and I've seen this, uh, you can spend 40 years teaching the Word of God, and one person can come in here following the person that leaves and completely lead, lead a church into heresy. Now, I don't believe that would happen here because we love, we love the Lord, but I actually heard a pastor stand up in the pulpit, a prominent, internationally known pastor, stand in the pulpit and said that Jesus was outside of the will of God for 85 years of his life, that Jesus was wrong. And nobody stood up and walked out of the room. Nobody tackled him. The pastor didn't quickly stand up and say, excuse me, sir, I invited you here, but you are now uninvited. When it comes to the word of God, we must take it seriously. It is sacred. It has the power to determine where you spend eternity. So the spirit-led preacher, gets, he gets one thing right, and the one thing that he gets right, it includes he studies, he, he studies what he's going to preach from the word of God. He studies, say he studies. This is not a person who copies and pastes his sermons. This is not a person who plagiarizes somebody else's sermons and then stand before you and preach it and never give any recognition to the person they stole the sermon from. This is a person who knows how to do inductive Bible study, who knows how to go to the Word of God without anything else and to pull out from the Scriptures what it teaches so that they can make it clear and they can interpret it so you can apply it to your life. And so the first thing he gets right is this is a person who's a student of the Scriptures. He does not go beyond what God's word has said. Paul says, in the last days, men will not endure sound doctrine. But he said, Timothy, Pastor Timothy, as for you, here's what I want you to do. Here's the charge that I'm giving to you. He said, preach the word. Preach the word. That word preach means to be, to, to be a herald of the word, a karuk of the word. A herald was the person who would go after the king, before there was copy and, and, and news media and so forth, what the king would do, he would give a, write a letter and he would send a herald. And the herald would find the most, uh, most visible place where a crowd could gather. And then the herald would simply echo, he would read the words of the king. 
Now, if the king said one thing and the herald said something else, then the herald was failing to do what his only assignment was, was simply to repeat what the king had already said. A pastor, a preacher, a teacher has been called to be a karuk, a herald, the echo of God. If you go up on a mountain, you say, hello, and you're waiting for your voice to come back and somebody say, goodbye, you know that you're not alone. You know that your voice hasn't been echoed. And so when God's word is being properly taught and it's, it, it will be echoed, that means that you will be able to go back to the scriptures and find for yourself what has been taught because it's in there. Somebody say amen. amen. And if you don't see it, well, the pastor said, but if you don't see it, you can always say, Pastor, where did you find that at? That's not an insult. That's encouraging. Let's, 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 let's search this thing out together. We're moving right on. And so he doesn't go beyond what God has already said. I can tell you the multiple times, it, it doesn't fail. God will give me an idea to preach. Now, when I was younger as a pastor, I was going to try to figure out how to make the scriptures fit my idea. I got an idea. <laughs> Let me find some scripture. And that's exactly what's happening in many pulpits today. People come up with an idea, and then they pull scripture from all over the Bible, out of context, to fit the idea. I go to the scriptures wanting to hear what God says, and almost nine out of ten times, the end result is not what I, where I started. There are times when I get finished preparing a message like this one. I didn't want to preach this. Man, I, I, I want to preach about any all right. Let's praise the Lord. Let's enjoy. No, no, no. By the time God gets finished with it, it's instructional. And it's different from where I started, but I follow, like they say, I follow the evidence. Somebody say amen. amen. The Spirit-led preacher understands four essential things. He understands the purpose of preaching. This is the purpose of preaching. Not to make you feel good. Not to make you run through the aisles. Not to make you do backflips. Here's the purpose of preaching. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. People need to hear about Jesus in order to be saved. Every message should be Christocentric. Christ should be the central focus of every sermon. You should not walk away from a church not hearing about Jesus. Not only does the, the, the spirit-led preacher understand the purpose, he understands the privilege of preaching. It's a privilege to preach. Somebody say it's a privilege. It's also a privilege to serve Jesus. You did not choose me. I chose you that you may bear fruit and that you may bear fruit that remain. Let, let me run on. And he, in, in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, he says, and, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, here's the privilege. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. It's a privilege to be able to proclaim and exegete the scriptures of God. So it, we have the purpose is to make Christ central. It's a privilege, but it's also, there's also a penalty. If we get up here behind this rostrum making a fool of ourselves by going beyond what God has said, the scripture says in James chapter 3, let not many of you be teachers. Communicators, proclaimers, because for everyone who is a teacher of the word of God, he said there's a stricter judgment. Luke talks about for he to whom much is given, much is required. 
And then he talks about there's, a, there's levels of divine judgment in hell. You will be beaten with many stripes. It's a, it's, 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 it's a serious thing when we burn, burn strange fires in God's house, when we proclaim what God has not said, God will deal with that person personally. Somebody say amen. amen. I was shocked to find, some of you may have heard this, a 25-year-old uh, dancer, aspiring dancer, uh, really beginning to break, make her way into stardom. She was out with some friends, decided to buy some cookies, and she had an allergy to peanuts, and she always read the label. So she read the label, and the label did not say that peanuts were included in the ingredients, and so she ate the peanuts and went into anaphylactic shock. I'm probably butchering that type, that name, but she died because the, the, the manufacturer left out that one ingredient that there were peanuts included. Now, as horrible as that is, a 25-year-old aspiring dancer, her whole life in front of her, died because one thing was incorrect in the ingredient. That's super serious, but the Bible says, don't fear him who can destroy your body, but rather fear him who's able to. When, when people get this wrong, not only is there physical consequence, there's eternal consequence. My greatest, my greatest concern for this young lady is not that she died physically, because to be absent from the body means that we're present. Not that the Bible says, for it's appointed unto man once to die. But after this, after we die, we stand before God. He's not going to, you don't get a second chance. But if someone has not accurately proclaimed the word of God, she could have missed out on heaven. There are essential ingredients that we don't want to miss out on. And so it's a privilege to preach. It's a penalty to get it wrong. It could cost people's eternal life. That's why you can't be sitting under everybody. We go jumping with this YouTube, this sermon, that sermon. And then we, go, we go to a Pentecostal church, we get Pentecostal. We go to a Baptist church, we get Baptist. We go to a Methodist church, we get Methodist. It's dangerous to expose yourself to, 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 to things that are being taught from the scriptures that are not true. It just is. Somebody say amen. 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 Here's another thing that the, the spirit-led preacher understands. He knows that there's inherent power that's activated when, you, when preaching occurs. Paul says this in 1 first, in first Corinthians chapter 2, verse, verse 5. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise, persuasive words so that your faith may not rest on human power. He says, but it came in a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. What happens when preaching occurs and the word is being taught, there's, there's, there's supernatural dunamis released from the word because the word is alive. The word is powerful. The Bible says it's quick and it's sharpened and into a sword. And so when, when the word is going forth, the reason why we find ourselves raising our hands, the reason why we end up saying amen, even when it, it hurts us, when we don't want to hear it because it's something that we're doing that we don't want to stop. The word of God has in hand. Paul said it, we came in the demonstration. The reason why you knew it was the word of God is because what the power of God was doing in you through preaching. He said it is through the foolishness of the preaching of the cross that people are saved. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the glorious gospel of Christ because it is the power. There is power when we proclaim the word of God. 
Somebody say amen. amen. I don't have no power, but there's power in this word. Power in this word. Now I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this other kind of preacher, the scoundrel preacher. Now, again, in Numbers chapter 22 through 24, we're just going to jump around, and I'm going to trust that you will take the time to look at these passages. I want to say uh, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, here's what Paul says about Numbers 24 through, actually starts in 22 all the way through 25. Here's what he says about the preacher that we're going to be talking about. He says, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. He said, because they followed the way of Baal, or Balaam. They followed the way of Balaam. Now, if there was one pastor or prophet in the, in the Bible that would perfectly describe what a scoundrel preacher is, it would be this man named Balaam. Now, at his best, he is a carnal, compromising Christian or believer. At his worst, and some would say that Balaam wasn't saved. I actually believe that Balaam was saved, but he loved money, power, and people more than he loved God. And the reason I say that he was saved is because he consistently prayed and he heard from God, and God led him to say the things that Balaam said. And so we'll learn for sure when we get to heaven if he was in fact saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, here's another thing that Peter says regarding Baal, Balaam. He says, you have left the straight way and wandered off and followed the ways of Balaam or Bezar and, and loved the wages of wickedness, preachers that love money more than God, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by the donkey and an animal without speech who spoke with human, a human voice and restrained the prophet from his madness. What the scripture calls recklessness in the Old Testament, God calls a way of Balaam that is very prevalent in the church. He calls it madness. There is madness in the pulpit today. And so he says that what I did I spoke to the prophet through an animal who can't speak. And the animal saved his life to stop him from his madness. Now, what did Balaam get wrong? Well, I already said this. He loved money more than he loved God. He was a prophet who sold his wares to the highest bidder. This was the guy with the $25, the $50, the $100,000, sow a seed to God. And if you really want to get back a hundredfold, sow it out of your poverty, sow it out of your lack. If you can't pay your rent, that's what God's telling you, to give your rent to the church so that God will see how much faith you have and he will release something that you would not otherwise have. There are people who are actually who are in poverty today who have drained their credit accounts because they have followed the way of Balaam. The, the, pro, the prophet, the preacher stood up and said, sow a seed. And their only interest is to get, get your funds 
and not your soul. That was Balaam. He was more interested in fun. He also misused his spiritual gifts. He was gifted. The scripture says in verse 20, in verse 6 of chapter 22, for I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. This is the Midianite king sending an official group to, to hire Balaam for his services based on his reputation. He says, we know that when you bless people, they're blessed, and when, they're cursed, when you curse them, they're cursed. And so he was gifted in such a way that he knew how to give counsel where people could either be blessed or ruined. But he misused his gifts. He also refused to accept God's no's. Seven times God, six times God told the prophet, he said to the prophet, do not go, he said, I'm, I will not bless what I've cursed. I will not curse what I've blessed. Seven times God said that through this chapter, through these verses. And so while the prophet continued to say, I will not go beyond what God has said, he kept trying to convince God to change his mind. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And how did he do it? He, he did it by manipulation, by manipulation to change God's mind. So what he would do, when the king would come and he said, and the prophet would say, I cannot go beyond what God has said. I must do what he says I must do according to his will. I, I, and I will speak what he told me to speak. What, what Balaam would say is, look, offer God some sacrifices and maybe he'll change his mind. And so six different times, they go to six different places, and they offer God. Why did he do that? Because somehow, if we, if we fast and pray, if we, if, if, we, if we give more of our offering, if we do some religious acts, then that's somehow going to persuade God to go violate what he already said he's going to do. So the prophet Balaam knew what God said. He knew what God said about divorce. He knows what God says about homosexuality. He knows what God says about transgenderism. He knows what God says about forgiving people that have hurt you. He knows what God says about racism and hatred. He knows what God says. But we'll see. Maybe he'll say something different if we offer him this kind of sacrifice. So he, on, on six or seven different occasions, he offers a new sacrifice. Why did he do that? Trying to change God's mind. And so he was manipulative, but not only was he manipulative, he, 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 he led these people that were trying to pay them. Every time he would say, no, I can't change God's word, they would offer him more money. They would offer him more prestige. So he wasn't, gonna let, he, he wasn't trying to quit the job. He was trying to figure out how to persuade God. So what he would do is, after offering the sacrifice, he said, let's go to a different location. Now, the reason he said go to a different location, the pagans during that time believed that God was not omnipresent. They thought that God, like I did, when I, when I wanted to cuss, if I was walking by the church, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And so I would walk past the church, and then I'd say, okay, now let me. So God was only at the church. So Balak and Balaam agreed. Each time God wouldn't change his word, let's go to a new location. Let's go to a Baptist church and see what they say about this passage. Let's see what the Presbyterians say about this passage. Let's go to the church of God in Christ and see what they say about divorce and remarriage. 
Let's, 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 let's go find a Unitarian church to see about what they say about how people get into heaven. Because it can't just be what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The Unitarian said, and if you believe, we're going to all end up at the same place. It doesn't matter what you believe. So you can keep on changing places until you find a pastor or a teacher who will agree with what you want to say. But even when you do, that doesn't mean that God ever, ever changes what he already said. They kept looking. Now, there's some things that you may really want to do, and they go, totally, God has already told you no in 15 different languages. <laughs> but you said those church people, and so you, you leave the church. I ain't going to church no more. I'll stay. I'll watch church on YouTube. I'll watch it on Facebook. And so you serve, you serve until you find somebody saying what you want to hear. And what you want to hear if it, doesn't, if it lines up with the word of God from the beginning, it won't change because you went, you left the, the physical church. And so he used misinformation. God doesn't change because you, 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 because you, went, to, uh, you went to the church up the street. Okay. He still holds us accountable for decisions that we make that are clearly delineated in his word. God still holds us accountable for lying. God still holds us accountable for holding grudges. God still holds us accountable for being vindictive. God still holds us accountable for lacking faith. That, that, that you will not change that in the word of God. We're told to walk by faith. You can't reverse it. It doesn't say walk by sight, not by faith. You can, you can go wherever you want to go. And that's what they did. They just kept changing locations. And God will, God will finally, God never changes his word. How, have you ever under, uh, uh, noticed in the story of Jonah? Jonah fled from the Lord. He went in total opposite direction. Uh, God ain't going to make me do what I don't want to do. I know what he told me. I read what he said in his word about, with about uh, families. I heard what God said about obeying and, and doing this. I heard what he said. He jumps in the boat, and he's going the opposite direction, and God stopped the boat. And when they threw Jonah overboard, guess what God did with the assignment that he gave Jonah in the first place? He never changed it. He said, here's what I told you to do the first time. You know how our parents say, we, we, you can <laughs> do all your snuffling, splitting, and I don't want to do it. You're still going to do it. Because when you don't do what God told you to do the first time, you will continue to face the same situations wherever you go. And until you do it right the way God has declared it in his word, you will not be able to grow to be right. They changed locations, but God never changes his word. Look at, and when you get a chance, in Numbers chapter 23, verse 13, we had a, let me, let me just go on now. So what did he get right? One of the things that he got right, every time the, uh, they would go to a different place, the Bible said, and the Lord spoke to Balaam, and the Lord spoke to Balaam. And he said, tell them the same thing I told you the first time, that I'm not going to curse what I blessed. So y'all going down south and getting your holy oil and all that so people can't curse you. Nobody can curse with God. You're already blessed. So he ref and so the queen said, if you're going to bless them, just don't say nothing. I don't care what you do at church. You can praise God. You can say amen. But when you leave church, just shut up. Don't be talking about Jesus and how good God is and talking about uh, I, I'm going to give an answer to everyone. The devil don't care what we do here in church. So Balak said, just be quiet. But Balaam refused to be quiet. The crooked preacher kept on saying, I will not go beyond what God says. 
I should say, he refused to alter God's word. He, didn't, he never changed it. He didn't obey it, but he didn't change it. And there are some people like that. They're great teaching you how to have a good marriage and how to raise your kids, all their kids in jail. And then they, and they just beat, they just had a fist fight with their wife and they come home, you know, come to church. You see, why are your eye bloodshot? And why is her, why is her blouse torn? Oh, we were just celebrating in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and yeah, counseling is today at three o'clock. They're going to counsel you. They got a terrible marriage. And so Balaam was that kind of preacher. He had no trouble. I will not go beyond what the word of God said. And thus said the Lord. But he never applied it to his own life. Six times Balaam said, I will not go beyond. I will not go beyond. And, I, I, and he, I, we used to, uh, we lived in North Philly. Y'all know that. We had, we, 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 I was listening to uh, some oldies yesterday driving home. And I remembered how we used to have to go get surplus. Surplus food. Anybody, some of y'all don't know about that. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> and we had this red wagon. We had to walk from 32nd and Dolphin to 23rd and Lehigh with that wagon. And that wagon, clank, to clank, to clank, to clank, to clank. If you want, I don't want anybody to know we're going to get surplus. But everywhere you went, people would open up their blinds and see, who is that? And then finally, when we get up to get our cheese and our peanut butter and our spam and that greasy beef and those powdered eggs, and you put them in the wagon, and so you take the wagon all the way back, risking life and limb. Nobody looked out the window because you couldn't hear the wagon because it had something in it. This is our problem. We're so impressed with the wagon. How loud did he scream? Ah, did he scream? Ah, did he raise his leg? Oh, look how he dressed. Oh, he got some gold in his mouth. Look at the glasses he wore. Look at the car he drove. Do you know where our pastor lives? Do you know where he graduated from? It ain't nothing but a loud red wagon with no substance in it when it goes beyond what God has said. I don't care if you got a bald head, short, look ugly. It don't matter. What, what, what does matter is he or he, are they preaching and teaching the word of God? Because that is what will last. We all getting caught up in the smoke in the mirrors. There's nothing in the wagon. There's nothing in the wagon. You need to be, are they sharing with you the word of God? Or some latest prophet that they didn't heard from and plagiarized from. Now, how could God use a shady preacher like Balaam the same way he could use a dumb donkey? That's the whole point of the story. God was saying, I don't need no preacher. I don't need any of you. I could, I could, I could make rocks cry out. All I need is a willing vessel to not go beyond what I say and tell them to do. The donkey was a willing vessel. And if God can use a donkey, he can sure use a crooked preacher if he stays within the bounds of what God has said. God can use anybody. He spoke to this, this guy through a donkey, and he just, instead of recognizing, he couldn't see what a donkey saw because he was in the ministry, but he was spiritually blind. 
the blind leading the blind. And then finally, the Bible says the donkey spoke. And he didn't have sense enough to know donkeys ain't supposed to speak. I've been jumping off of that animal. I would have been taking my lead. And he started having a conversation with the donkey. And he said, don't you know? If the donkey had not said to you what I was saying to it, you would be dead. I know it's not a popular message. I know that people don't like to hear what the scripture says. I know that if you can just get tickled every Sunday, turn on Joe Osteen or whoever you want. I said I wasn't going to call anybody's name. I can't retract it. You can get tickled every Sunday by, by motivational speaking. But if that donkey didn't speak... Balaam would have been dead. If somebody don't tell you about your sins, if somebody don't tell you unless you repent, you will bust hell wide open. Guess what? That angel still has a drawn sword waiting to take us out when we disobey what God has said. God can use anybody. Thank God that the donkey was willing. Thank God for pastors who will stand on the word. Thank God for pastors who don't care if you like them or don't like them. This is not a popularity contest. God can use anyone. I'm going to, one more. God, God works in spite of the brokenness in the preacher. The word of God, the reason why he works in spite of the brokenness of the preacher, because God said, oh, my word shall never, never return unto me void. Oh, 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 here's the scripture. It says in Numbers 23, verse 19, this is why... God works despite brokenness in the vessel. Verse 19, listen to this. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He has said, has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will, it, will he not make it good? <laughs> That's the reason the word works, and God said it. And what he said, he said, will I not do it? Will I not make it come to pass? I challenge you to look at anything that God has ever said by way of promise in your life. Has he ever broken a promise? The reason why God can use broken vessels is because what he says, when we don't go beyond it, he will bring it to pass. He will bring it to pass. Stand with me. Stand with me. He'll bring it to pass. We got to get this one thing right. It may not make you shout. It might even make you a little angry. He all in my business. I know somebody called him. The pastor should be able to hear from the Lord. Pastor should be reading your mail even though he never saw it if he's in the face of God and receiving from God. It took me three, three, it took me three separate times to get my driver's license in Philadelphia. Three times. Don't tell nobody I said that. The barracks was on Monument Road. Some of y'all know that. And when you drove up, there was always a line. And just before you go in to take your test, there's a steep hill. Now it's closed now. On the third time, I passed. And I was so glad that I could drive in the car without a licensed driver. I had my license. <laughs> I was so confident that I agreed to teach my cousin, Gary, how to drive. 
he learned how to drive. And so we find we're going to take the test. And we get there to the barracks, alignment road, and we get on that incline. And we're waiting for our turn. He has a panic attack. He just goes completely, he blacks out. And he puts the car in neutral. And we're going in reverse down that hill. I'm saying, put the brakes, hit the brakes. And he's just like, he's like catatonic. And then finally, I'm scrambling, and I'm on the floor, and I hit, bam, I hit the brakes with my hand. And of course, then he stomps on my hand. But we stopped the car <laughs> before we hit anybody. Guess what that joker did? When we went in there to take the test, guess what he did? He passed it the first time. He almost got us killed, but he got one thing right. When it comes to the word of God, we got to get this right. Let's not go beyond what God has said in our marriages, in our relationships. When we do it God's way, he said, God is not a man that he should lie. If he said it, he will bring it to pass. Let's get this right. And we will build to last. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name. Oh, Father, I feel so inadequate. But your grace is sufficient. Your word is perfected in our weaknesses. I stand before your people in weakness and trembling. But I know that if I stay within the bounds of your word, you will bring it to pass. And so, Father, I humbly submit. I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice would make that decision that we will not go beyond what you have said in your word. I don't care what all the voices are saying on Facebook and all over the, the social media platform. We need to stick with your word. Oh, help us, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap.